Hello everybody, this is Chandradasa at the Buddhist Centre Online, thebuddhistcentre.com and we're here to celebrate part two of Buddha Field Week on the site, leading up to the main Buddha Field Festival and then later to a very special retreat that happens at Buddha Field every year, which is a retreat that's family friendly and I'm very happy today to be joined by Amara Gita, who's a leading light in that community there and we're going to be talking about this particular retreat, what it is to have a family friendly retreat and the history of that rather fantastic project. And I'm delighted to welcome her from the lovely April Cottage. I wish I lived in a place called April Cottage. Yes, well, um, it is a very delightful 300-year-old cottage (laughs) (laughs) in the wilds of Stroud, which is kind of hobbit country, really. (laughs) (laughs) If people have a kind of stereotype of Buddhafield, they probably think hobbit country. (laughs) Yeah, it is, actually. It's... uh, it's quite near to where Buddhafield sort of bases itself in the southwest mm. of England, which is very lovely. Beautiful, beautiful spot. Hey, fantastic. So, listen, thanks for um, taking the time to do this today. It's been very good interviewing different people from Buddhafield and hearing all sorts of different perspectives. And this was one we definitely wanted to get, which is uh, this very successful project that's been running for how long now? The family friendly retreat? Um, 14 years. 14 years. will be 14 years, yeah. So how did you get involved with Buddhafield and, and what drew you to this particular corner of the Buddhafield project? Well, I loved the festival, absolutely adored going to the festival, loved it. And then when I had my daughter, I decided that I'd like a bit more retreat time because I was a bit unrealistic about how often I thought I'd be able to get on retreat once I had children. So when she was about two, I thought, okay, now we can go and have an opportunity to be on retreat and to be a family at the same time. Um, So it was just pragmatic, really, just wanting to get on retreat and not wanting to leave my children. I work away quite a lot, so I kind of have to leave them anyway. So Hmm. it was an opportunity to be on retreat and to have my family with me. That's going to sound quite familiar to a lot of people, I suspect, exactly. is you go I to you go to a Buddhist centre really, yeah. Yeah, and, you, and you suddenly find your life changes, or you've already got kids and it's how do you, how do you go deeper with something and balance that with a very full life. Mm, hmm. That's right. So yeah. presumably you found it quite effective because you seem to have got quite involved. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it completely sort of met a need of mine that I didn't even know I had, mm. which was a sense of community sort of that's cross-generational. So when you go to the centres, you're kind of taking yourself as an individual. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Or when you go on retreat, you're taking yourself as an individual. But that sense of living in community, obviously if you are you know, in community and living in right livelihood, then you have a sense that your Buddhist life is your working life, your living life, all of it is encompassed within that sense of your practice, mm. um, and that's a little bit harder if you're not doing that. Yeah. I mean, it, it is as an individual you are living a Buddhist life and you're practicing, but somehow the context, the, the, the context feels like it kind of mirrors what's going on on the inside somehow. Mm. And um, this particular retreat, you know, partly the, the Buddha field context, which is being on the land, very arts-based as well, so there's lots of music and lots of creativity, lots of making of things. So that was very appealing. But also the two people who were very much sort of steering it, masterminding it, were David Priya and mm. um, Carl Davis. And their kind of ideas were ones that I kind of resonated quite strongly with. And 
just the way that they created a very sort of archetypal and mythic realm mm. um, within the retreat. They're just very open to supporting the idea that householders could practice and you mm. know, very supportive of how, you know, how we could develop that. Yeah. So it was a fairly small retreat when I first started going on it and gradually just got bigger. And I'd got a sort of background in sort of organizational development and working with volunteers and stuff. And I sort of gradually saw that there was a few structural things about how the retreat was organized that, you know, how it could be kind of adjusted a bit. And that would just really, really enhance it. Mm. So I sort of started chatting to David Priya about that. But I was just joking with him and I said, you know, with something this great, there should be a waiting list to be on the team. Well. For this retreat. <laughs> we had a good laugh about it, but over the years, that is exactly pretty much, you know, what, what's happened. You know, we've created mm. an event that's so successful that people you know, really want to be on the team, and there's more people who want to be on the team than we, we have spaces for often. So I gradually became involved, and David appeared very good at spotting people who've got something to offer mm. and just giving them space to run with things. So I think it's a combination of him spotting something that I had to offer and me being very comfortable with what it already was and just also keen to develop it. Hmm. So that, you know, we kind of became a bit of a winning, a winning team. That was great. Yeah. When I was talking to Camel Sheila about Biddefield a few weeks ago, it was very interesting because we were both recalling when Biddefield itself first started and what a breath of fresh air it was in mm. the FWO as we were then. Yeah. And it's very interesting to hear you talk about these kind of dual things of, on the one hand, like a, a way for people who don't live in the kind of communities that were established already within our particular way of doing Buddhism, a way for them to experience community, but also quite a sort of radical retake on community that comes out of people's actual experience. So you've got a need and you find a way to meet that need with other people and it gives rise to this amazing thing that you couldn't probably conceive quite in the abstract in the same exactly. way. Like, mm. And that's actually very traditional in Buddhism, isn't it? Is that mm. most practices emerge out of people's experience rather than mm. because somebody somewhere thought they were a good idea. Yeah. 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 And so David Priya, I mean, I know that David Priya died sadly in yeah. November, was it? In November? That's right, yeah. Presumably quite a big change for the, the team there to in a way have to really pick up that myth and that, that kind of archetypal situation that he's mm. helped create and that you've helped create? It's interesting because he was definitely the visionary mm. for the retreat, you know, and very much always connecting with other people who he could see, you know, shared that vision. But it always felt a bit odd to say that we led it, just in the sense that there's, it's such a big retreat. There's so mm. many, it's a bit like the festival, you know, who's leading the festival? There's lots of different team leaders. And yeah. We do create a framework for it and we do think a lot of things through. But when you're in the midst of it, there's so much going on that it's no one at the helm, really. So I was leading with him for many years, but kind of leading question mark. And now we've just got other people who are very committed to join. So we've established a leadership team of four people now, Fimin Raja and Dai Jyoti and myself and Carl Davis, the four of us are now the lead, leading the retreat, yes. And they were always very, very much sort of involved. And yeah. So it wasn't a big thing to shift it into that way. And the retreat's got a life of its own, really. There's three things, three key things that we want to do every year, three principles, really. And one is about creating a culture where householder practice is valued and developed and emphasized and the way we do that is 
you know, we have a little and often mantra so that people aren't thinking that they have to save up, they have to wait for 15 or 20 years until their kids grow up and go away before they can do the real thing. That's right. You know, and so part of the retreat, we have lots of different ways of having 10, 15, 20-minute meditations scattered throughout the day in lots of different venues and places. So pretty much wherever you go, you get to do a bit of meditation. <laughs> yeah. Um, you go to your Puda group, you do 10 to 20 minutes meditation before you start. You go to a puja, you do 10 to 20 minutes. You know, wherever you go, it's like, you know, there'll be bits of meditation. You know, we've got meditation for mothers with toddlers. Mm -hmm. So there'll be the toddlers will be just toddling around and then there'll be a lead meditation and there'll be people who just keep the toddlers from harming themselves. So it's just like, in life, okay, how do you keep that sense of mindfulness and that sense of sort of opening yourself up and out, but with toddlers there? Mm. You've got meditation, chocolate meditation for children. <laughs> you know, so Can I do chocolate meditation, please? <laughs> There's <laughs> so kind of meditation, you know, all around, really, and not just meditation, but that sense of practice being something that you do everywhere. So none of this is new, mm. but somehow really focusing on it in a setting where there is that real range of ages yeah. is, is very effective. So that's the first principle, household practice, and how do you take this back home? How do you practice here in the way that you could at home so it's not such yeah. a big sort of disconnect when you go home and you think, I can't practice here, the kids are making too much noise. Yeah. You know, at the retreat, the kids are just, you know, we don't shush the kids, they're all around, they're making loads of noise, and you just, med you know, you learn to meditate in the noise. That's good practice, isn't it? Which is very good practice. I mean, yeah. I just, you know, it's interesting. We've got some people coming from the, there's a one-year course, which is something that we also joked about. It's like, you think you've got a good practice? Come on the retreat and see how, right. how long your patience lasts and how, <laughs> how able you are to just play and roll with what's actually happening, you know? Mm. We did say it would be good to uh, to have it as a mandatory two-week thing that you do before you get ordained. That's right. <laughs> see how strong your practice is. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, right yeah, you, you have to do you have to do silence for a month and then we let in the toddlers exactly <laughs> and then the other thing is a mythic context i mean we've been following the system of practice every year through a mandala of practice so day one we kind of put it onto the archetypes as well so we, we do we go through the archetypes of warrior lover magician king queen um mm and underpinning the different practices. There's a sense that every year we come on a journey, we mm. go through these different mm. phases of the journey, we come out the mandala the other side, and people bring a slightly different topic every year, but there's a sense of continuity of, of what we're doing there. So it sort of gives people a, a sense of how they're, how they're shifting in their practice mm. in relationship to the mandala of the five key practices or stages. And then it's about sort of being in the land and, the, you know, the landscape being an important aspect of, you know, connecting with, you know, connecting with the earth, connecting with the environment. So those are the three things that we do every year. And then just to make it even more complicated, we layer on top of that a kind of dharmic theme and we've been doing six paramitas over the last three years, two paramitas a year. Yeah. Well, that is a lot. It sounds quite an immersive experience in a way, like a, re yeah. a really kind of quite depth-charged retreat. It really is, yeah. And we've been also working with the single-sex principle in a way that I think is what it's really about in the sense that we've now got part of the retreat. There's a men's lodge 
at men's PP at the women's lodge. And, you know, we have different things going on within that. We have lovely rituals and ceremonies. We have an absolutely beautiful ceremony to honour the new mothers, people who've just become mothers mm-hmm. um, and new fathers. Then we're kind of developing what is going to develop into full-blown rites of passage activities for young men and women. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have rituals, gender-specific, coming into your own and sort of owning your own womanhood, manhood as you, as you develop. And, and last year we had like 25 teenagers from 14 to 19. Mm-hmm. We even have teenagers who want to come without their parents. The parents don't want to come anymore, <laughs> but they still want to come. <laughs> That's really good. It's, it's, it's quite surprising in some ways, isn't it, that in a way you're cool enough to attract teenagers. You know, because quite often I suppose teenagers don't want to go anywhere near things mm. that they've come to with their mm. parents previously, but the fact mm. that they want to come without their parents is amazing. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's very beautiful. I mean, one of the things they say when they come is that it's the only place where they don't have to fit in to be a particular type, mm. you know, like there's the, the goths and the thises and the bats and the others. And when they come to the retreat, everyone feels really comfortable just to be themselves and not to have to fit into any particular type. And they find that really, uh, really refreshing. Yeah. Really liberating, yeah. Huh. It's really fascinating to hear. I've never been on one of these retreats, but it really makes me want to come. So I wish we had a Buddhafield America now at this point <laughs> in time. So it seems that there's a lot of experimentation going on with mm. both traditional Buddhist practices and also practices that have been evolving and changing and shaping through years within Triratna. I was very interested to hear about single sex. Some of our listeners might not know about the single sex principle as one of the many features of our particular community. The single sex activity is sort of based on sort of fairly common sense that for certain things it just makes sense to mm. separate the genders. Um, for example, my daughter's just, she's 12 and she's just beginning to do sex education at school. And for that, they find that it's, it's pretty necessary to separate the girls and the boys because what embarrasses the girls and what the boys want to talk about is kind of different. So it just makes sense to do that. And I think in most cultures, and you know, particularly traditional cultures, there's always been a sense of there needing to be a identification and a strengthening and a, a sort of coming into your own, in your own gender. When that is strong and good, then it's a good basis on which to also be able to, to have good relations yeah. with, you know, the other gender. Actually, we started having a women's TP and a men's TP, but, and, and this year we're, we're graduating now, we've got a mix. Uh, a mixed <laughs> TP as well, <laughs> so a, a place for people to go and hang out, which is also mixed. So kind of gradually evolving things that you know people find helpful. Yeah, and again, I suppose it all just comes out of people's experience, doesn't it? It's not yeah. like there's a template yeah. being applied saying That's you right. you must do single sex or you must do X, Y, or Z. No, it's exactly. Like... That's really great. So if you know, if somebody was was wanting to come on the family friendly style retreats mm. that go on at Buddhafield. They are different, aren't they, from the festival? It's not quite the same. Presumably yeah. there are things in common, but there are some specifically different things. What should yeah. somebody expect coming on a, a Buddhafield retreat okay. like this as opposed to the festival, which is, in my experience, a wonderful jamboree where you can mm. you can go and do some serious practice, but a lot, mm. of, a yeah. lot of what not, goes on is broader. It's not designed for that. No, it's not. Serious practice. Well, a village retreat, um, it is a retreat, so, you know, a very sort of normal retreat program, so there'll be two meditation slots in the morning, six till seven and seven till eight. Um, there'll be all the meals provided so you don't have to go and make your own or 
search for places like in a cafe or so on. So all the meals are provided. We have a community circle where we sort of allocate some work for a work period. And then there is a group that people are allocated to, the same group where people can go to and, you know, they do a bit of meditation. They talk about the theme of the retreat, talk about their experiences of how the retreat is going and what they're wanting to develop. And then in the afternoon, there's often a talk where there will be a Dharma talk as well as yoga. We've got hot tubs. We've got a lot of other activities as well, workshops like bushcraft or singing or things like that. And then in the evening, we have some kind of ritual or ceremony, depending on you know what the, what the night is. And that kind of goes into a, a puja. So it's like a retreat, but it's in a field. And the children, there's a kids team that's specifically just working with the children so the children will be definitely looked after for a period of about two and a half hours in the morning to give parents space um, to go to their cooler groups and the children also then take part you know they, they sort of put on plays and take part in the rituals and, and have water fights and you know <laughs> it's generally uh, you know have a good time jumping in at the hot tub so it's it feels like a very very chilled out relaxed family holiday really yeah. but which has got a real theme of being able to practice be able to you know do meditation being able to go to pujas at the same time people find that they're able to really kind of connect a very strong element is meeting people and you know people have been coming on the retreat you know people sort of tend to keep coming back year after year mm -hmm. so you get to know each other quite well and reflect on the year how it's gone and you know what you want to take into the next year really mm. And so where do you see this kind of retreat developing? Where do you see it going? Because I've heard that it's getting quite big. Yeah. Do you want so to get bigger? We were, we were really oversubscribed, way oversubscribed, um, to our detriment, really. And one of David Peer's visions always was to grow the retreat sideways, so to have two retreats um, so that we could keep the numbers to a, a more friendly hmm. amount. So what we're looking for is a kernel of people, just like we've got an organizing team for this retreat we call the Heart Team. And there's about 20 people on that team yeah. that are kind of committed to it year-round. We go on retreat together as a Heart Team twice a year, and we kind of study together, and we also sort of think about what's going to happen next for the retreat. And then we've got lots of people on the retreat who want to be on the Heart Team, who've got a very big commitment, but actually there's no real role for them, so they can't be. So we're hoping this year to see if there's another kernel of people that want to kind of start developing and organizing a second retreat. So that's one way. And the other thing is to have other people in... There's Buddhafield North, a family-friendly retreat in Buddhafield North. Mm -hmm. We could have an east-south-west, you know, small Buddhafield retreats that are family-friendly that kind of develop... And then it's almost like we have one big one where people come to get more ideas or to get a sense of what people have done before and then go back to their more local mm. area and, and, and develop those retreats there. Um, there's also a vague, I don't know how many years it will take us to incubate this, but actually to run a, on that piece of land, to run just a children's camp, a Buddhist children's camp, yes. um, which, you know, there's loads of camps around all kinds of different camps for different, you know, different things. But, you know, there is a bit of an interest in, in developing that. So we might, you know, that may be one of the ways that we actually develop as well. Mm. Or even having a children's camp running alongside our camp, 
There's yeah. also someone wanted to establish a kind of yogi's zone on another retreat where there's more theory of practice in the sense of longer sits and more intensive, but somehow joined to the village. So you've got a sense of some people who really may need or want complete peace and quiet, they can go off to the kind of yogi's area and have a bit of more intensive input there. Mm. So we've got various little ideas and threads and you, know, you kind of nudge them along and, and only do as much as kind of feels like we can all cope with um, mm. you know, gradually developing things. It certainly feels like a very, a very strong and successful model. Yeah, I mean, it sounds exemplary from here. It's just very, it's very inspiring to hear mm. just how, well, I suppose how organically it's evolved, but also mm. these kind of ideas, and as you see, little kind of shoots of ideas that come up, and you think, well, is that going to yeah. grow into a very strong thing, or is it just an idea? Is it? But it sounds so creative. I think that's the main impression I, I get mm. listening, is that it's, I think the word heart, as the mm. heart team, there's real heart going on behind this. It's very, yeah. you know, sad to do. It's really fantastic to listen to. Yeah, I mean, I think what's what's lovely is that the adults love it mm. so much. I mean, David Clear always used to say, our job is to keep the kids happy, because if the kids are happy, the parents can get on <laughs> and do their practice. And, but I think the other way around works as well, which is that the adults are so clearly happy to be there, enjoying their connections with each other, enjoying their sense of being able to come back to somewhere where they don't feel there's this choice between am I a practitioner or am I a family person? That's right. You know, there's this just lovely... That's why it's a highlight of my year is because you just get to be completely full in the sense of completely rounded, completely whole. Because there I am doing a talk or leading a meditation and my children can wander in and go, oh, is it okay if I go in the hot tubs now? And I'm like, yeah. I think that's why people love it, people that have children, is that you have that sense of being with your two loves you know your family is your love and your sangha and your dharma is your love mm. but you can have both those together you're not having to separate them out yeah so i suppose just to finish off i was interested that you were saying earlier at the beginning about it being something you carry on into your life afterwards so you know it's not just that you do this kind of lovely mix when you're on the retreat it's like you can take that mix back with you i mean presumably that's worked for you that when you've been back in the world after the family mm. friendly retreat's mm. over it mm. does actually give you some sort of way to manage those two loves as you say mm. Mm. i think it just sort of psychically that space exists mm. so the two halves have become whole mm. so just the fact that it's there and you can keep going back to it every year yeah. I think that's a very, almost when I use the word healing, <laughs> but without right. wanting to sound a bit naff. I think that's the experience. Mm. Mm. Well, it definitely comes across, even over the telephone line, even over the Atlantic Ocean, as we're doing at the moment. There's something, you know, when you talk to somebody about something they love in the area of Dharma practice, at least mm. in my experience, you can always tell when something, I won't say magical without sounding naff, is, mm. hap- is happening under the surface of the river, as it were. There's a, there's a, real, there's a real current going. And you, you can feel that in, in the way you talk about it. It's very, it's very good. Mm. I've never been on one of these retreats, but I can connect quite easily with some of what you're talking about simply because I've been on other kinds of retreats. And in one's own life, we have these questions going on about how do you balance up different loves mm. and different parts of your own psyche and your own being. Mm. Um, just sounds like great 
great spaces and great work mm. for that very human aspect of what it is to be a Dharma practitioner. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks a lot for all of that really wonderful interview. Really looking forward to getting it out there as part of Buddhafield Week. The retreat is in August, is that right? Yep, it starts on the 19th, Monday the 19th of August this year, slightly different timing than past years. And if you'd like to come, we'll welcome you with open arms. You can find all the information on buddhafield.com, of course, and also all throughout Buddhafield Week here on the Buddha Centre Online. We'll be making sure the dates are posted and the links are posted, etc., so you should have no trouble getting the information. I'd thoroughly recommend going to Buddhafield in any guys' festival retreat, anything that you can possibly manage. And we'll be back with another Buddhist voice as part of our ongoing series soon. But I'd like to thank Amrigita for taking the time today. Thanks very much, Amrigita. You're very welcome.